This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. Hey, are you ready to hang with your digital besties? What day is it? Is a podcast covering every girl problem, life struggle, and biz reality out there. So pour yourself a glass of wine and get ready to laugh, relate, and celebrate not having it all together. the thing it's a con and the con is like with nexium the overall con is making us feel like we're broken which was kind of the other thing i wanted to impart is that you're not broken you don't have anything to fix you can improve yourself and be on a path of knowing yourself and loving yourself but you are this whole complete being already and groups like nexium and landmark and things like that want to make you feel like shit about yourself so that you keep paying money to to, to grow and to take more classes and that that's that's the deceptive lie what is up friendships welcome back to another week of what day is it i'm bailey stanworth if you're tuning in for the first time we say this every week so sorry to everybody else but i am one half of this podcast and i am the other half of this podcast we just kind of have to cover our bases if we have new listeners every week and reintroduce ourselves so to our loyal friendships welcome back it's Jackie and Bay here for another intro. We are switching things up a little bit this week, and you'll notice in this episode, we jump right into talking with our guest. So we're going to do a little intro for her in a little bit, but you just have to deal with us for a few minutes. Let's just jump right into our cute but cringe, so why don't you kick us off? Yes, let me do that for you. My cute is that I had the ultimate worst week of work of my life last week and if any of my clients are listening this is your cute yeah because i survived and i'm giving myself a huge pat on the back for this because hopefully none of my clients are listening but i just definitely overworked myself last week like there was some nights and i think i sent bailey snapchats where i was working till midnight working till 2 a.m like i had deadlines i had to get done and there was no choice and yeah i mean like i a huge cute for me because i survived and i'm really proud of myself i definitely almost didn't i was there was tears last week i bought a new laptop i dropped almost four grand on a new laptop you guys because mine wasn't functioning so yeah, that's a freaking cue because I survived last week and I'm so happy and I'm walking into this week with a new mindset and I'm so, so thankful that that week was over. I think it was a huge learning lesson and it'll help me for future, but woo, I think I had my first like mini anxiety panic attack last week. Um, I've never had one before and so yeah, that was scary and not fun, but this just sounds like a bunch of cringes, no, to be totally honest. I'm so happy and proud of myself for surviving. <laughs> no, no, I, I, the surviving part is yeah. great. Very happy for you, but like, <laughs> it's like a cute. It's like the the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, you know. Like, I didn't think I was gonna survive, and here we are. So, whoo, pat on the back to myself. My cringe. Okay, I was listening to your clubhouse with Caitlin Bristow and Shaughnessy last week. And I only listened briefly because um, you guys were talking, you were recapping The Batch. It was last Monday and I hadn't watched Mm -hmm. yet. So as soon as I heard you guys talking about The Batch, I was like, I need to turn it off. But I heard Shaughnessy tell this story about how she peed in her um, husband's mom's car. And just to quickly recap, she was super drunk. She had to pee. She couldn't hold it. She ended up peeing in her mom's car and then didn't tell her husband or his her mother-in-law for like two years. And she finally told her husband two years later. And he was like so kind of... He was like shocked, right? He was kind of like, I didn't know. To be honest, I don't remember. But her what I can gather from it. Shaughnessy's been on our podcast before our friends. So if you haven't listened to her episode, go listen to it. But her, um, in-laws are very quiet and reserved. So she was just trying to figure out if they knew mm-hmm. and we're like, Oh, they knew for sure. If you were drunk and they were sober, but like, they've just never mentioned it. And like the car must have smelled like pee. Anyways, long story short, I texted her being like, Oh my God, I just heard you tell that confession on clubhouse. I need to tell you a story. One time I peed the bed when me and Jordan were dating. Cause I was so drunk and I've never told him to this day. And that was three years ago. And she was like, you need to tell him and report back. And I was like, 
Uh, I don't want to because I've held this secret for three years. I mean, you did confess it in our truth or drink. I know. I just don't know if you watched but it. But yeah, so <laughs> side note is we have a truth or drink up on our Instagram, IGTV, and our YouTube channel. Only IGTV we've ever done. <laughs> it's fine. We're fine. <laughs> and um, I confessed about that. I think the question was, have you ever lied to Jordan or what's the biggest lie? And I confessed to doing that. And I told him two whatever two years ago when we did that i said look there's a confession in that video and like if you want to watch it you can choose to watch it he lazy ass didn't he chose not to watch it and so he didn't know that confession to this day shaughnessy good friend shaughnessy she really gave me the power the empowerment to tell him and so i told him last week i was like do you want to know something i was like shaughnessy told me to tell you and he was like really nervous he's like what i'm like so like one time I you remember that time you picked me up and I was like blackout drunk because it was a very specific time he knew he we both could remember it I was like yeah when you woke up and kissed me for work the next day I had peed the bed completely and he was like ew that's so gross he's like what if I woke up sweaty that night and I was just like wet from your pee and I just didn't even know and I was like I don't know it was like two three years ago I couldn't tell you but yeah I definitely peed the bed one time when you were sleeping in it and he was like that's disgusting he was like, you can't get mad at Harvey for pooping in the bed because you peed the bed. I was like, I don't think it works like that, but okay. Yeah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that is my cringe. And if you have a secret you've been holding from your partner or some a friend for a long time and it's just kind of an embarrassing one, I'm going to challenge you to tell them if it's like a few years old because it's actually kind of funny to see their reaction now. Um. Okay, well, mine can't really even follow that, but... um. My cute and my cringe are kind of like related. So coming up on the year mark here that I've been in my apartment, solo YOLO, isolated in my little is it two bedroom the same prison. Is solo dolo. Whatever. <laughs> my saying is solo YOLO. Okay. Solo YOLO. What does dolo mean? Dolo? I don't know. It's just the same. Like it's solo dolo. Solo YOLO would be like mm-hmm. solo you only live once. Yeah, well, maybe that's my it's motto. Bailey's Solo YOLO. Bailey's Solo YOLO. Um, anyways, I'm starting to lose it, friends. And I have talked on here how I clean on the weekends. And I literally rearranged my entire bedroom yesterday. And now this has me wanting to, which is going into my cringe here. My cute is I rearranged my bedroom and it just feels nice and new and fresh and different. Um, my cringe is that I now want all new home decor products. Like I really want to sell my couch. I want to get a new couch. <laughs> I just, I'm over it. I've been in here too long. Someone send help. This is me putting out an SOS, a flare gun into the universe. Save me. What do you, what do you want to change? Everything. What? What vibe do you want to go? Because what would you describe your style? Like, I want to change my floors, but I can't even do that because I live in Strata has to approve that shit. I don't know. I'm very black and white right now, and I want some more neutrals in here. And I want to paint my bedroom wall that's black. I don't know. I just, like... I can't with you. Like, what? You painted that wall black probably, like, two years ago, and then it took you probably a year and a half to hang that thing that you finally wanted to hang on it and now is the bed even under that frame now that you've moved it okay so bailey has this this hanging frame the frame's off the wall no it's off the wall she had this frame that said i'm still using the frame as decor it's just like leaned on a dresser with like a bunch of other stacked i'd like a like mtv cribs on snapchat after this because i want to see what room what your state of your room is i feel like that's very relatable though because once you do switch around your room it does feel like a new room my room, I'm not going to post photos of my room on our stories, but it just makes my room bigger. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, sorry to your credit card because I know once you get an idea, it's game over and you got tunnel vision. I haven't done it yet. That means that it's happening that's just my soon. mood. You love that white couch. She loves this white couch, you guys. She treated it like her baby for so long. No, you know what? Here's the problem. I just want a new place. That's the real So do that. Here. I just want to move. Do that. Yeah, houses are expensive. Of course. Cut down your... So... <laughs> if you just stop shopping on Amazon, maybe for like one month, Bailey. I'm kidding. Hey! I'm kidding. I haven't actually shopped on Amazon in probably like two weeks. <laughs> I love how you're so proud. I am yeah, dead. I am. That's so good. I love you. You're I so am. funny. Two weeks. 
two weeks going strong. Yes. Okay. Well, what's made you stop? Do you want to talk about it? No, I don't know. I just haven't needed anything. Okay. Progress. Okay. We'll see. We'll check back in next week and see how long the streak's going. Sure. <laughs> okay. Hit me with your shower thought. Well, first we have to do our, our ditty. Right. It, I, I feel it's a little thoughts. bit of like resentment towards the song every time we have to sing it. <laughs> <laughs> We've committed. It's the thoughts. It's the it's thoughts. The thought. It's the thoughts we have, we have in, the in the shower. Shower thought. Shower thought. Okay. This is um, very relevant to the current um, times. Why does February have 28 days? And why couldn't January and March have 30 days instead of 31 days? So February could too. Did you read this summer? Did you come up with it on your own? No, I came up with this in a conversation with my family the other day. That is quite interesting. Like, I get that it probably has something to do with, like, how we rotate around the sun. But really, like, take one day out of January and one day out of March and you're telling me that's going to fuck everything up? It's really strange. I, I've i never understood it. Ever. So, like, yeah, riddle me that, solar system. Yeah, that was a good one, to be honest. I think you've messed up my entire day. And I'm actually <laughs> quite shocked that... Like, today should really be February 29th. Yeah, like, I'm quite shocked that it's March 1st. Actually, no, it would be February 30th because February 1st would have, there wouldn't have been January 31st. There would have only been January 30th. So it would have been shifted a day. So today would technically, also we're pre-recording this, but Monday this week, guys, would have been February 30th. Interesting. Thank you for mm-hmm. that life-changing. <laughs> and in, you've messed up my February now for the rest of time. Well, you're welcome. Okay. All right. That's the thought. Anyways, okay, friends, we have a great guest this week, um, Sarah Edmondson. She was a key member of the Nexium cult that was known for its sex trafficking and human branding. She was also a huge piece to the puzzle that brought down the cult back in 2018. So really interesting story that she has to share and you might also recognize her because she was a part of hbo's popular documentary the vow which is on crave i'm not sure if it's on crave for us but that's what it is here in canada yeah like Bailey said she was one of the whistleblowers for shutting that whole thing down and honestly i just feel lucky that she was open enough to have a conversation with us and you'll hear it throughout the episode i was so uneducated on this topic and that is definitely because of the lack of media i consume but this stuff was happening not all of it, but some of it was happening here right in Vancouver. And if you're local, I think it's really important to learn about. It was really recent and Sarah was so open and honest with us. So enjoy the episode. There's also another documentary on HBO, which I think is very interesting called Seduced. And she also has an amazing book on Audible that we both listen to. It is called Scarred. And I highly recommend educating yourself on this topic because it's just really important that it can happen and be protected and you can kind of be blinded on what's really going on behind the scenes anyways enjoy the episode oh we're so dumb friends we also have a really exciting announcement oh my god (laughs) before we let you listen to this episode oh my gosh i can't believe us friends today new merch has dropped and it's pretty killer if i do say so myself yeah not to toot our own horn but like it's really good Like, I'm sure you've seen it blasted all over Bailey and I's social media the past few days. The day has finally come where you can shop this new merch. And it's a mixture of things that Bailey and I both designed. And I'm pumped for you guys to get your hands on it. I've been wearing it nonstop, day in, day out. Like, I've already had to wash it a bunch and I've barely had it. Go shop, friends, at whatdaysatpodcast.com. Tag us when you get your pieces. We want to see you wear your merch for a chance to be featured on our feed. And now we'll let you listen to the episode. But yeah, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us. We're just going to get like right into it because we've got lots to cover. And Jackie and I both read your book. Um, and Wow, the whole thing. That's impressive. Yeah, I just finished it this morning. I wanted it to be fresh. And I've also watched oh. The Vow. So we're just like fully ready for this conversation and have so many questions but for those who aren't familiar with your story or nexium can you maybe just like share what nexium was sure so 
you know, there's always like how I preface this with what I thought Nexium was and then what it was actually, you know, and what I, what I thought it was when I was joining it was a personal development group, a group of uh, like-minded and I, I have to roll my eyes when I say this now, humanitarians, because it turned out to be quite, you know, quite the opposite. But when I was presented with this workshop that I took when I was 27, um, I thought I was doing like a deep, deep dive, like a therapeutic type of model that would help me to look at myself, understand myself, build self-awareness, figure out who I am, my values. And it, it was a lot of those things, truthfully, at the beginning. And then as I went on, it got, became more and more my life. It became more and more um, something that I, sorry, does this sound okay, by the way? Yeah, you sound great. Yeah. Uh, it became more and more, you know, something that I, like, not, not only just tools that I used in my life, it became my life. And I wanted to bring it to Canada because there wasn't a school here, and I did. And I built a really awesome community of, of, of like-minded support you know, supportive, um, a lot of artists, a lot of people your age, like 20s, 30s, some 40s, um, and, it, and, and older people as well. There was definitely a mix, but it was really a, a very thriving young community of people who wanted to better themselves and, uh, you know, work through their shit, for lack of a better word. And turned out that in Albany, where the mothership was, um, where the leadership and the leadership was, there were things going on that were kept very much from us. And when my husband and I and, and some other people found out what that stuff was, we decided to to blow the whistle and now the leader's in jail. So that's sort of the, the summary of the last 12 and then three, I've been out now for three years. And um, Keith Ranieri, the leader of, of Nexium, who we used to think was the most noble, ethical humanitarian that ever existed. And now we think he's quite the opposite. He's <laughs> narcissistic, sociopathic, sex-addicted douchebag, in my opinion. No, agreed. Agreed, 100%. <laughs> I feel like that was a loaded question to ask you to like narrow everything down. Was it 12 years that you were involved in Nexium, or was it 12 years that Nexium existed? No, I... Oh, did, did, did it continue or did I continue? Um, did it start earlier? Like, how long has Nexium been around? Yeah. So it started in, in 1998. Okay. So when I joined, it was 2005 okay. I was, and I was 27 and then I would turn 40 the month I got out. So I spent my whole 30s in it. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll dive into that later. I do kind of want to preface though, like we're not going to go into certain topics, which you know about and we, yeah. we recommend you li listen to her book on Audible or watch The Vow and learn more about it yourself. But can you take us back to early Nexium days and that feeling you felt when you first joined versus now looking back? Like, what's your thoughts looking back knowing all that was about to happen to you? That's a great question. Yeah. I mean, I went through so many different stages with my involvement in Nexium. I, when I first heard about it, uh, a filmmaker who I really liked and respected told me about it. So I was, you know, I didn't do any research. I didn't Google the, anything about it before. I was just like, oh, if he's doing it and he's an amazing man, then this must be good, uh, which is how a lot of these things work. You know, leveraged trust is a term in this field. And, um, and then when I did my first five day, I was like, what is this bullshit? Like, you know, from the book where I was like, you know, the power suits and the, the cheesy, the, the cheesiness and the bad food and the um, kind of like, therapy 101 but i i wrote it out because i trusted mark who invited me and i wanted to get my money's worth which is now i know there's so many things i know now and it's why i'm excited to talk to you guys because i want to impart these things um so that you don't have to go through the same shit you know and it's part of life you know you have to have your lessons and stuff but i don't think anyone needs to join a cult to learn these lessons i really do and i i wish that i had this education when i was when I was your age, and I don't mean to sound like patronizing, I just, because I, I, I just feel older and, and wish I could be in my 20s and like not spend my 30s in a cult, <laughs> you know? Um, but so I look back at that and think it was all there, you know? Uh, and one of the things that happens is that when, when you buy something, if you can't get your money back, you want to make it worthwhile. And I stuck around long enough to be indoctrinated. And I've since learned that you can be thoroughly indoctrinated, which is a more technical term for brainwashed. Um, in about three days. Wow. If you're sit, yeah, if you're sitting and you're focused and you're open and you, you want to learn and somebody has an ulterior motive to 
to alter your belief system or, you know, fuck with your internal wiring that can happen in a very short period of time. So, yeah, I really um listening to the beginning of your story. I couldn't help but think about an experience I had because I used to work for Lululemon and they send you to Landmark Forum and I just remember thinking back to that experience and how similar it was like they really kind of groom you for some stuff and like are putting like a lot of the responsibility on you and it's just this like you go to this um like seminar for lack of a better word for like a full weekend and you're immersed in it and you kind of like I saw myself like losing touch with like outside world because I was just so enveloped in it and then I got out of it and I was like no but I can see how the three-day thing is very real. Yeah. The three-day thing is, and it's also, you know, people ask me about Landmark all the time. Do I think it's a cult or not a cult? And I you know, truthfully, I haven't taken it. But I think from what I've seen in terms of people and they're going through it, I mean, when, when just to backdrop for a second, when I was in Nexium, we called, we said that Landmark was the McDonald's of personal growth and <laughs> Nexium was like gourmet food because we thought we were so much better. Um, but I think in truth, from what I've seen with my friends who've done it, is that there's people who can take a three-day workshop, take the tools, put it in their toolbox and move on with their life. It's just a problem if you make it your life, if you devote your whole life to it. And there are people who work for Landmark for free and um, there's never an end in sight. There's always more curriculum to take, which was in answer to you know, one of your questions about what are some of the red flags, that's one of them. Like, is this a program you can take and then you're done? Or is it a never ending path to your enlightenment, which is going to cost more and more and more and more money? Like, can you graduate from this program? <laughs> you know, when I, when I listen to your story, I feel like your body is naturally fighting it when you look back, do you feel like you're you're, like, not even your mind, you were questioning those things, but I feel like your body was actually fighting the EMs and stuff like that. My body said, get out. And I, even in my first five day, but they, as you know, from the book, they preempted that by saying, you're going to have the desire to leave. Right. You're going to have the desire to bolt. And the whole point of this is that you want to stick it through. You want to work through your issues So we agree based on that I trust them and I think that they're here to help me with my issues. They're not here to enroll me into a, you know, what we now know is the sex cult, which by the way, we'll get into as to like, you know, what that really means. Cause I didn't join a sex cult. I signed up for a personal development. I I signed up for for a landmark, you know, that's what I signed up for. So I feel like it's so interesting because Nexium and like, I don't know if landmark is a cult or not, but like those types of programs are, their messaging really mimics like wellness and a lot of like mindfulness things that you hear like saying be responsible for your feelings and like not giving power to others and I just think it's so so interesting because it's like where do you kind of differentiate when it is healthy and when it's not that's a good question and a great segue to talk really quickly about why Nippy and I decided to do our podcast which is called a little bit culty <laughs> and we're, we're looking at things like that how do you determine when something is a little culty and so many people said yeah landmark definitely feels culty are they branding women no right yeah there's a there's a continuum and one of the things i've learned from different experts including stephen hassan who's the first guest on ours is that you know there's lots of groups where it's a culture you know people are obsessed with something some people could say that like Aritzia is a cult, you know, like it's a cult, a vibe of like everyone's into it and like obsessive or I don't know, like there's, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a level of healthiness in terms of a cult, which is what I thought I was in. Like people would say, oh, you're in a cult. I'm like, yeah, it's a cult of happy, successful people. Are we drinking Kool-Aid? No. Are we shaving our heads and drinking goat blood? No. What's the, what's bad about it? Right. Now I can very specifically pinpoint what's bad and that's what makes something a cult. And again, like I don't know specifically about Landmark, but I think what's what can be destructive, like I said, is if you devote your whole life. I'm sorry, I think I diverted. What was your question specifically? No, no, it's okay. I don't even know if I had a specific question. It's just kind of like for me, I can't help but notice some of the similarities oh, the wellness. between wellness and like just how do you kind of maybe feel when you see some of that language or verbiage come up in conversations because I mean like there's Tony Robbins and then there's even just like people on Instagram and social media just talking about mindfulness and things that I feel like are very similar to how Nexium's messaging started. Yeah. 
Well, personally, I feel grossed out because it's a trigger for me. Like even the word coach or goals or um, potential, like those are all kind of trigger words. But I feel like when I was, when I joined in 2005, it was a different atmosphere. This is 15 years ago, right? So not everyone was a life coach like they are now. You know, Instagram didn't even exist, right? There's no such thing as a social influencer or, um, you know, somebody who's into health and wellness and has a profile and building clients like this. It's a whole different landscape, right? So I think that cults and people who want to manipulate and want to hook into what people need is sort of dependent on what's happening in the culture, the actual culture, not the cult culture, but the actual society. And things have changed. Like when I was, when I was in my 20s, like I was, you know, I, a whole different set of values. I didn't have a family yet. I, you know, drank way more, wasn't drinking green juice. Like I'm, I'm way more into health and wellness just as myself because that's sort of part of what, what's happening right now in this current zeitgeist. But I don't think that the wellness thing isn't, it's tricky because I, I think that if people are out there who want to manipulate people like yourselves or, my, or myself, it's just trendy. So it's like a great cloak, right? You know, you can be a, a leader in health and wellness and be a guru of that subject in general, but doesn't necessarily mean you're a cult leader, you're a bad person. You just have to learn to see what the signs are because I'm sure, like I, I see people on Instagram all the time and I'm like, that is just a, a total shield for getting people in for some other method, you know, for some okay, other Okay, wait. Yes. I want to know, like, what are some of those things that stand out to you that you see? Me too. Sure. Yeah, I actually made a list. Um, and it sort of depends, like, if someone's just doing stuff on social versus, like, you're engaging and that there's different levels, I think. But I think as soon as you see somebody who is claiming to have all the answers, you know, like, this is the way or the diet or the only way for optimal whatever, health, wellness, beauty, like, and that, that is a huge red flag for me. And if people want to get you to, to join something, then like the, the initial thing is free or whatever. And then, and you're kind of hooked, you're like, this is interesting. And then they want you to do more and that's more expensive. And it's got a time frame on that. Like, you know, you have to sign up in 24 hours to get X discount, which like anyone in sales would be like, well, that's just sales right? That's just sales. You want people to commit. And once they, if you lose that window, they don't commit. Like we do, we totally did that in Nexium. It was a 48 hour discount because people would change their mind. So you want to like get them to sign up. I didn't think I was doing anything unethical. I just thought I was helping them commit to their, you know, their future, you know? So it depends on the ethics of the person using the tool. That's just a red flag for me. If they're trying to get you to commit, if there is an interaction with somebody like a wellness coach or person and there's a lot of love bombing. Have you guys heard that term? No. I think I talk about it in the book. It's love bombing is like, again, just because someone's being nice to you and making you feel good doesn't mean they're love bombing you, but it is a tool for manipulation. Like if I'm a health guru and I meet you and I'm like, oh my God, Bailey, like you're everything I've been looking for and you're so this and that. And I just like shower you with love and attention. I would just be like, you're so full of shit. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, this is what's great. Like part of me worries for this generation. Another part of me is like, you guys are so much more ahead than we were because you have so many more resources. Yeah. Like the term gaslighting was never, I didn't even know that until I left three years ago. Now it's everywhere. Gaslighting, manipulation, sociopath. Most people don't know what a sociopath is. Yeah, I think we do have a I lot mean, of then, like um, tools and resources, but I also think that with social media, it's easier for a person to maybe feel a little more vulnerable in like who they are and not sure and like looking for acceptance and like kind of just because I feel like in your early 20s, you're already very much like that. And then yeah, with social media on top, like I know like it's so natural to compare yourself and be looking for that validation. So I think that maybe is a downfall for us. Yeah. And I, I think validation, I mean, for sure, for me, I mean, you could tell from my story, like I was looking for, I, I didn't know I was looking for that, but they gave that to me. They gave me, I became the poster child of the community and the, and the leaders made me feel special and they mm -hmm. me full of this sort of false self-esteem and I felt good, but I also then felt dependent on the group, which is the other red flag. Like if you're getting to be part of something and you feel like you need that, you need the group to be okay and like that's your everything, that's a problem too. 
but the love bombing, it may have been like, if I said that to you, you're like, you're full of shit, but I'm sure you've had a friend who's like really, really kind to you and like your BFFs. And the next thing you know, they're cutting you down and you're like, oh, but like, I trust them. So this must be good for me. Right. Like, like a toxic relationship. I don't know ever had that so it doesn't have to happen that's the thing is that these things doesn't just don't just happen in cults they happen in one-on-one dynamics they happen with a boss you know they can happen in a religion and any any organization it can happen in when you talk about your red flags is there a specific one that you go back to and you can remember that made your stomach turn and you were like what am i doing here and if there was can you share it with us god yeah there were i mean there were a lot. I mean, just generally in my very first five day, I didn't feel like this was my tribe. I didn't feel like this was where I was meant to be. It didn't feel right to me in general, the whole thing. It felt, you know, cheesy and um, just off, but I couldn't put my finger on it, but I'd already committed to not leaving. <laughs> and, and that was my gut instinct saying, this is, um, this is not a good idea. And then there was, you know, many things along the way that happened after that, but I'd already p- programmed myself through that accepting first thing that they said, like, like commit to overriding your fear. So they mixed fear and gut instinct, right? So it, I, it, for me, it's a gut instinct now as I'm learning to be, trust myself and my intuition again, but they call that, well, it's just a fear. Hmm. So I committed to overriding my fear because I trusted the authority. And that's the other red flag is that, you know, any anytime you're putting your own personal power on someone else's authority and they're saying that they know better for you, it's hugely problematic because then then that, that makes you ripe for gaslighting. Like they can anytime you have a problem, they can say, "Well, it's just your issue," which is like a type of gaslighting. Like if I were to give you some sort of feedback, and you to say, "Well, that's just because you you know," I, I could give you some examples if you want, but I I would say that the number one Ugh, feeling that I got um, was towards the end, which is eventually what woke me up, which was, you know, getting the night of the branding and feeling like, okay, this is insane that I would give or commit to this. But I said that I would, and there's, you know, collateral on the line. So I have to, I, and, and that was me gaslighting myself. I said I would commit to this. This is what women do. Women don't commit. This is like the indoctrination all the 12 years leading up to that point that made it okay for me to lie down on the table and, you know, ask for it. I say that in air quotes. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. Let's kind of, we're going to lead up to that, but let's kind of like paint for those who don't know. Let's go back because you worked your way through sashes. Like you described it kind of like karate belt colors, like you guys go through the colors. So, as you're starting, you're investing money in to do this, right? Yes. How much do you think you spent yeah. in total? Uh, I mean, just on classes alone, over 100000 Like an actual, yeah, just like paying for classes. And then over the years, as I got to higher levels, I wouldn't necessarily pay for the class, but I'd work for, I'd work, like I'd put my time and energy into it. That doesn't include flights, hotels, rent, food, all that stuff. Well, I, pay, I put a lot of money into it. And there was also a time when I made a lot of money in the middle um, after, you know, four years of working for free. But there was, yeah, it was just very expensive. So at what point did working through the sashes kind of start to bring on more red flags? Um, I think the the biggest red flag with the, sa- with the stripe path is when I realized that you know, it was supposed to be very measurable. Like, you know, my son's in Taekwondo, so I see this now. You do X, Y, Z, and you get your next stripe, and then you get your, your, um, you know, your next color, your next belt. And that's you have to prove that you can do certain things to, to get to that next level. But with ESP, there was that, but there was also like the outside authority deciding whether or not you'd work through certain emotional issues, and that's very subjective. And I realized that there was some. Yeah, there was just oh, there was always room for them to be like, well, you just haven't worked through this yet, and that was incredibly frustrating for me. But I was also very stubborn and wanted to prove that I could, which I think was a big part of like you know my Achilles heel and this whole thing, even getting involved in the first place. Like people around me being like, "What you're going to Albany? You're going to Albany, New York? Like, do you guys know where that is? It's a shithole of a town." Sorry if anyone's li- listening. There's some <laughs> nice parts, but like it's you know it's it's like imagine living in New York and coming out and doing a training in Delta. I don't know. Like it, Delta's pretty. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. Delta's pretty. Shame like, on it's Delta. So, it's so, 
I actually think Delta is really it pretty. Is. I do. I love it. But like, it's so random, yeah. you know, like imagine living in New York right. and going across the country right. to a random suburb and spending thousands of dollars to take a personal development program. But I was very much like, I was individuating. I was finding myself. I'm like, no, this is it. I'm going to bring it to Canada. And they say that it's hard, but I'm going to do it anyway. And like, that's, that's the responsibility that I can take in terms of like, what drove me. Do you think that location was strategic in the sense that they didn't want you surrounded by like more population and being in a downtown New York vibe? I think so. I think that there is also like, I think now looking back and I understand how sociopaths work, Keith liked to set up a number of different kind of um, almost tests. Like, are you willing Mm. to inconvenience yourself to come to Albany? And then it's, are you willing to inconvenience yourself to do volleyball? (laughs) with me like if you wanted to see Keith and spend time with him you had to go to volleyball late at night yeah isn't that a cult tactic to to deprive people of sleep and then get into their head yeah yeah for sure it's a cult tactic but if if you know when I didn't go because I wanted my sleep the gaslighting I got was well Sarah I guess you're just not really committed to your growth you're more attached to your comfort than spending time with the smartest man in the world what does it mean about you that you're not willing to go to volleyball and miss a couple hours of sleep? Right. So then I feel like an asshole right. for not totally, but, but I, thankfully I was too attached to my comfort. I didn't go to volleyball too much. I probably went less than five times and I never spent a lot of time with Keith, which saved me in the end. So through this straight yeah. path, you're getting groomed essentially. Like you yes. are like this lack of sleep. And then there was lack of food at one point because they're priming you for DOS. So can you explain mm-hmm. what DOS is? Sure. Um, and just to back up for a second, like I definitely had the lack of sleep thing because there's always so much to do and we were kind of on call, but those things, you know, increased slowly over time. Like if I taken my five day and they would had said, you know, you're going to be, have to keep your phone on all the time and be available for X, Y, and Z. And eventually you're gonna have to go on a diet, which I actually never did. So I, in many ways I got sort of, I got spared from a lot of the, the really rough stuff because I lived in Vancouver. And I never moved to Albany, whereas a lot of the women who are, you know, got more involved and, and joined Keith's harem, which we found out about later, um, they, they were put on diets. I was never put on, I mean, I've always been thin, but I, I would, and I have to like tangent have to say that I never counted calories and all that stuff like they did, but I was definitely body focused. Like it was, it was definitely a value to be fit and thin. And, and I just, that wasn't one of my personal struggles. So I was never put on a diet per se, but DOS was introduced in my last, like a few months before I left. And I was already disenfranchised. I've been very honest about that, that there were a lot of things in the company that weren't working, but I was still committed. I I always thought I was going to be a member of Nexium for the rest of my life. I thought I was going to be a teacher and that I would, you know, my kids would grow up in it. And I was, I didn't like certain things, but I wasn't leaving. Um, and But I was also kind of stagnant on the stripe path. I hadn't been promoted in a long time, which was a big deal within Nexium. I know it probably doesn't mean much to anybody, but you're supposed to get a, your next stripe or your next level every six months. It had been three years since I got my green sash, which basically what me, called me a senior proctor. And there was only 12 of us in the whole company. So I was quite high up in the ranking system. So I was supposed to feel good about that, but I wasn't, um, I wasn't growing. And then... Um, I was introduced to DOS by this woman named Lauren Salzman. She's the daughter of the president of the company. She was uh, me and Nippy's maid of honor, my best friend. Um, somebody I really trusted, like who I would go to if I had an issue or somebody wanted to help me through something, I would go, go to her. And she invited me to this secret sorority that was supposed to be really badass and amazing. Like, you know, I, I could pitch it to you the way that she did and you'd be like, oh, that probably might sound pretty good actually (laughs) because it was, you know, all the things that I wanted in terms of accountability and women, um, you know, taking their growth to the next level, which should have been a red flag for me because, uh, you know, here we are teaching Nexium. Like if if Nexium is so good, why do we need another program? You know, why do we need something different that's more effective? (laughs) Didn't ask that question. What I did ask is this: Is this Keith involved? And he, and I was lied to. And and Lauren said no. It's nothing to do with it. It's all women. And it's all, she even said it was nothing that it was separate from Nexium. It's just a group of women that were wanting to uphold each other. And I've never been in a sorority. I've never. Um, I have very strong female friendships. 
in and out of outside of Nexium, but I was really into it for the growth because I trusted Lauren and she said this was the thing that's helped her more than anything. And I went in very reluctantly and that, you know, it was presented to me as an exercise that she would be my master and I'd be her slave. Now, listen, I live in Vancouver. She lives in Albany. Like I didn't, didn't really think that was a real master slave relationship. It was an exercise, um, you know, like a guru disciple kind of thing. And that's how she pitched it to me. She's like, I'm going to coach you. We're going to check in every day. I'm going to work you through your issues. And it's going to be amazing. And the intricacies of how that happened and how I committed and how she used collateral, which is um, something that had been presented to the whole community four years prior in, tw- in 2012. Um, Keith introduced this concept of collateral, which was that if you wanted to commit yourself to something like losing weight or writing a script or a book or you know starting a new podcast, whatever, and you don't do it because you're fearful or you're being lazy or whatever, you'd have something on the line. You know, like if I eat the cheesecake, I'm going to give $100 to charity. That's an example of collateral. So collateral was already part of the vernacular. It's mm-hmm. like it's something we all did. Um, and so essentially that collateral, the, the proper term for that is actually blackmail. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> in, in, this, in this context, but we you know, obviously didn't see it like that. Um, and the intricacies of all of that are in the book yeah. and in the vow because it's very difficult to explain. Like I could spend an hour with you just saying, and then she did this, and then she did that, and then I agreed, and then I agreed to this, and you know, totally. It it, it wasn't like okay, so you're going to be a part of this group. I'm going to blackmail you, and then eventually you're going to have the the leader's initials seared into your flesh. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have been like, you can go fuck yourself, and no, thank you. I'm allowed to swear from reading it. I mean, yes, you definitely can. (laughs) Um, It's like they were, they knew what they were doing. It was very subliminal. It was very Mm -hmm. groomed over time. Like it obviously wasn't the first time they'd done it. So they knew how to do it. Um, Highly suggest reading the book. You guys, it's so interesting. And if you're like jaws dropping, listening to this, read the book. (laughs) Thank you. I was just curious because I know you kind of said you it could take an hour to go over all the ways that they manipulated you, um, the Nexium leaders and Lauren, but maybe you could share just like a few, three, we'll cap it at three ways that they manipulated and groomed you for DOS. Sure. Um, let me think about that. Or even just like um, the women in general, because I know that you were saying you didn't go through some of the specific things because you lived in Vancouver, but just maybe like right. the main three ways. The women in general. Yeah, I think like we took a lot of curriculum in the in the four years leading up to DOS called, it was the Jeunesse and SOP curriculum that was female focused, male focused, and then eventually they kind of merged the two and let us all take it together. And a lot of that curriculum was, again, is what I thought it was and then what it actually was. And what we thought we were doing was we were, you know, there's about a hundred of us in terms of the higher ranking people that took all the trainings. And we thought we were this committed group of people that really wanted to learn how men and women could evolve their issues and like work together better. And that including understanding the opposite sex and the wiring and the, and the, you know, the primitive impulses and so in that exploration, which we thought was a very safe space, like how often do you get to sit down with a guy and be like, what's your greatest fear? You know, or what's it like, what's it like to be with a woman who blah, blah, blah. And, and a man could say, you know what, this, this, and share their vulnerabilities. Like there was all this very beautiful dialogue between the sexes. But in that exploration, I believe that Keith implanted kind of like the worst the worst aspects of of each sex in terms of gender like what as a stereotype like you know the stereotype of women being emotional and men not right like that's a pretty like keith didn't create that (laughs) so we would talk about that and then he would also talk about things like you know and women are princesses and men are trying to save them okay that's sort of common and women are this this and this and i i don't i'm still trying to figure out what i believe and what what was implanted, but some of the things were things like, you know, women don't commit and we're flaky and we're like, oh, I have a bad period. I'm not going to do that anymore. And like men don't do that. And so I started to develop kind of like a resentment almost of my own gender. If, that the pro- if that's the proper term, there's all these new terms that I'm trying to get, wrap my head around. But like in terms of being a woman, like that I'm, that I'm indulgent was one thing that like I indulge my emotions, not just that I'm emotional, I indulge in them. And that's very princessy to make that more important than my commitments. Whereas men uphold commitments and women 
are flaky, they can't keep secrets, all the things <laughs> that I believed about women drove me to, to commit to DOS because I wanted to be better and not be that way. So that was like one piece of the indoctrination. I mean, that's multifaceted in and of itself, I think. But um, sorry, Jackie, your question was, what were the, okay. Okay, what were the, what were the pieces of indoctrination that led me to DOS? Yeah, like I was just, yeah. like one that stood out to me was the ready test that you guys do. And maybe that oh, yeah. one would be a good one to yeah. share with our listeners. And like Billy said, you guys, like we're not diving into all the details here. It's really important that you go watch The Vow or read um, Sarah's book because then you'll understand it fully. But Maybe you can explain the ready tests and how much they were on top of you at all times. Yeah. So like before we even, before DOS was even a thing, I was part of an SOP group, Society of Protect Protector Groups. And that was like a group of women that we were at some point randomly, we, we were sent a text saying, are you ready? And we'd all have to respond, I'm ready within two minutes. And if we didn't, we'd have to go look for the other women in the group and um, report in at a certain time. It was kind of like a game, like who's going to report in faster and you know, just like everything in Nexium, you can take something that's weird. Like I remember my sister-in-law being like, do you think it's weird that you have to report in at a certain time and like everyone knows where you are? I'm like, no, it's amazing because like I'm in this group of friends and I got keep tabs on each other and I can, you know, one of us is in trouble. And there was actually a number of things that happened in that time where because of the readiness system, we were able to help people internationally with some crises that happened. And that was like, see how amazing this thing is that we can help each other in this way. As soon as you understand that the person at the top is a sociopath, <laughs> you know, it makes it very weird and very yeah. dark, of course. <laughs> I get that. Um, but so that was something that we did. So when, by the time we got to DOS, it wasn't just at a particular time. It was random and it could be in the night. So, you know, again, if somebody had said, you're going to have to stay up all night, your phone's going to be on, all these things. I mean, like, yeah, that's crazy, but it happens slowly over time. And that's the, that's the biggest thing I could say with, with any of these things. You know, when people start a relationship, if the guy hits you on the first date, you know, you're out. But it doesn't happen that way. First, everything's great. He's buying you flowers. You're the best in the world. And then one day he criticizes you and you're like, okay, maybe he's just having a bad day and you kind of brush it off. Like, that's how it happens. It's step by step. Nobody gets into an abusive relationship on purpose. Nobody joins a cult on purpose. It's deceptive. Yeah. yeah. Over 12 years. Like, yes. <laughs> I want to talk about Keith Rainier because we've been talking about the sociopath and the guy who was the leader. Um, and he portrayed himself as this like celibate, like perfect guy on a pedestal who was going to save essentially everyone. Can you kind of explain a bit what was going on behind the scenes with Keith and like when you started to realize that? Sure. Yeah. Like when I joined, I was told that he was a celibate renunciate. Renunciate being that he didn't have, he didn't get any of the money. He didn't even need money. He didn't have possessions. He just was a very simple monk-like figure. Um, and over the years, I I think that my perceptions of him changed, but also the curriculum changed like with the jeunesse and all the the male-female stuff. I remember having a moment of like seeing him with the same person who was so much younger than him, I thought was like his assistant, you know, and then thinking like, are they together? No, they can't be together because that's like wildly inappropriate. Because um, he's in his but then, 50s at that time, right? He's in the 50s. Yeah, in his 50s. Um, oh, sorry. What was the question? <laughs> no, no, that's okay. Sorry, I totally cut you off. <laughs> I've I've got mom mom brain legitimately. Okay. Um, um, just kind of like what was going on behind the scenes with Keith, even though you had been told he was this like perfect person. Well, you know what? To be honest, when we watched the vow, we saw footage that we'd never seen before, and I remember saying to Nippy, "If I saw this, if I saw how he was like laying on the couch with all these women fawning over him and like almost literally dropping grapes in his mouth, while well, he sits back and, ugh, I mean." that was hidden. Like we didn't see that. We saw this man coming out and teaching a forum about like ethics and humanity, the behind the scenes stuff. And we've since found out that Keith had his harem of women since before uh, ESP even started. He had a, he was living a polyamorous um, lifestyle, which, you know, teach their own. That's fine. Um, but the problem is, is that that wasn't presented. And that was, a de that was deceptive in terms of the branding and marketing, no pun intended, you know, and he, he decided to present himself that way as this humble guru who didn't need sex or money or power. And that's the opposite. Cult leaders thrive on money, sex and power. And that's usually the driving force, some combination of those things. 
So eventually, after you've joined DOS, who you were introduced to by your best friend, Lauren, um, things take like the darker turn and you end up and some others are branded by Nexium. And you guys had that collateral, which included nude photos. So we won't go into details of it. I want to be respectful and you can read it in the book Friendships. But is there anything you want to share or want us to know or take away from that part of your experience? Um. That's a good question. By the way, is friendships what you call your your and listeners? Yeah, <laughs> your, that's so funny because in Jeunesse, everyone was in groups of friendships. Oh no, <laughs> yeah, there was like the mom friendship and the yoga friendship and the entrepreneur friendship. So it's just one of those words, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's, funny. it's okay. I'm fine. It's all good. I can. I'm. I'm. I just think it's funny. Um, what do I want people to know about that time? Um, and if it's just to read the book, yeah. just say that. Yeah, you can read, read the book. But I think, I guess what's important is about, like, in terms of actually people, if you did hear about this in the news, it was like the sex call and women were getting branded. And um, ultimately, it's what I needed to wake up. It didn't happen right that night because I was, I was actually in shock. I, I've since learned that I dissociated, which was often what happens when women are assaulted or raped. They, they leave their body and they're not, like, a cohesive person until they can reconcile what, what happened. Um, but it's what I needed to wake up. And groups like this abuse people on a mass level. Um, but until there's a physical abuse, it's hard to prove it. And ultimately, I think Keith just derailed and went too far and, and needed more and more women and needed to like lock down their devotion to him. Um, and this was now proof that he was doing that. Other people have tried to, to get the authorities involved with him many over the, over the decades and they've never been successful. But I think it's because I actually had the proof on my body right. that this was happening. Emotional abuse is a very difficult to approve. Um, and I guess the other thing I'd want people to know is that, um, yeah, like if I was reading this and even, even when I, when I heard, first heard about like Weinstein and some of the other things that came out around that time, had I not gone through my own experience, I would have been very judgmental of those women um, mm -hmm. to say things like, well, why would you even go up to the hotel room? You know, why would you, why wouldn't you just leave? Like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have the, the, the compassion or the empathy to understand how it happens. And Unfortunately, now I do, um, and I wish I could impart that to other people. But more importantly, I want to impart like how to avoid the red, how to see the red flags, and not even get anywhere close right. to that situation. Um, and I think this is a new era, honestly, of 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 this kind of thing being more exposed. I think that that, that you both and and your generation have a vocabulary for things that it, that just wasn't prevalent. Like even I'm sure you've heard about some of the other documentaries. The Vow is definitely one of the big ones, but there's another one called Wild Wild Country about the Osho cult in Oregon. That's on, also on Netflix. Um, Holy Hell, which is about a small um, sort of spiritual cult in California. Those are great. If you if you watch those three, you're like, wow, there's a template. Like these cults are, uh, Yanya Lalit, she's a cult expert, calls it cookie cutter. It's like, it's the, it's the exact same, slightly different practices, but it's the same mo it's the same methods and techniques for manipulation so i guess I, but that's, that's what i'd want to impart is like if you feel judgy and i don't know you guys don't but like if your friendships <laughs> feel judgy um and then go well that would never happen to me i would say fuck you i'm not getting branded well obviously if i if i had been presented with that at the beginning i would have said the same thing totally but you know indoctrination happens slowly it's the it's the proverbial frog in a pot of boiling water you throw it in it jumps out but if you cook it slowly over time they die i i wholeheartedly believe that if people read your book they'll understand that a bit more and you like you said you you wish you could give that to people you are giving that to people through their book um thank you it's kind of crazy to me that i didn't i talked about this on my stories which i'm sure you saw but i didn't see this in the media personally and that could be my media consumption it could be my fault of like what i'm looking into to be honest i'm not a huge news reader but for our people listening, like this was, when did you leave? 2017, correct? Mm -hmm. And so in June of 2017 and the first media about it was in the, like big media, it was in the New York Times in the fall, following fall. It's just, it blows my mind. I didn't know anything about it until we connected 
with you and um i know in your book and if this is too personal of a question like feel free to not answer but i was just curious because you talked about in your book near the end about lauren and you said she was your maid of honor and you had reached out to her numerous times just expressing like your concern for her getting better and doing what's best for her have you heard from her since and did she ever apologize um, it's totally not too personal at all, by the way. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty open. Thank you. Um, yeah, of course you can ask me anything. Uh, no, she, so we haven't spoken. I would like to, at some point, there is, um, some legal stuff that has to happen before we can do that. She did make a public statement when she pled guilty, which sort of included, included apology to me, but it was not like to Sarah. Uh, I would still like that, although I, I'm not angry towards her anymore. And I, you know, I think that even though she did some pretty awful things and needs to be held, account- held accountable, she is a victim also. She did not sign up to be, um, you know, <laughs> to, to commit these crimes. Like that's nobody, nobody, nobody thought they were doing, I do believe that she thought she was trying to help me and just got her head fucked with as well. That's, I, I had another question about that. And I, and again, like I, I worry about saying the wrong thing. I don't want to be, Oh no! Don't just don't. don't I just I'm curious what your thoughts are on on Lauren's charges and Alice and Max, for example, because obviously they were extremely groomed and manipulated as well. So, do you feel like they they should have gotten more charges or less, or what are your thoughts on that? You know, I and you're not asking anything wrong. Seriously, that's totally fine. (laughs) Yes, it's fine. Um, I'm not a you know I'm not a lawyer. I don't have all the all the, you know, precedents and and knowledge under my belt that I can refer to. I guess for me, what's important is that they wake up and that they, that they're, they're not like standing by Keith anymore. And if that, if it takes them some time in prison or jail to, to have that uh aha, you know, then that's what it's going to take. You know, Claire is in jail for eight years almost. And when she went in, she still said, even though she pled guilty, she said, but I, but I still stand by Keith and that I think that he's a good man and I learned so much in Nexium. That's a problem, you know, for me. And so, like, I, I, it's a very, it's not a black and white thing with both Lauren and Allison. It's a very mixed emotional bag of, fuck, I feel so terrible for both of them and they need to be held, held accountable. And I don't think that Lauren or either of them should spend a long time in prison but you know enough for them to to clear their head and get healthy might be good and not do anything like this ever again yeah Yeah, exactly for those who don't know um Lauren obviously was your best friend we talked a little bit about her and Allison was um she was actually like a pretty well-known actress and very high up in DOS and Nexium what were kind of their roles they have different roles. Uh, Lauren was the daughter of Nancy, or is the daughter of Nancy still, and who's, you know, Nancy's the president of the company, and then Lauren was the head of education. So they had a, she had a lot of power within the company in terms of like getting promoted and passing anything to do with being measured as a facilitator or anything like that. Allison ran the Source, which is an acting program that Keith created. Should have been another red flag since he's not an actor, but, um, (laughs) and uh, she, you know, her role changed also just like mine changed over the years. And by the end, it appeared that she was one of the top line DOS slaves. So basically how, how DOS worked is that there was, there was Keith and then he had, I think eight or nine women at the top and then they were sent to go recruit six women. Um, So Lauren was one of those top line DOS slaves and I was under her and Allison was, I guess my DOS auntie. (laughs) <laughs> which was crazy because, you know, we were friends, but when I saw that I potentially had her initials also on my body, I freaked out because I don't love her that much. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm curious, do you think now, like having gone through that experience and seeing the world through a different lens, do you think there's a lot more cults out there than a lot of people are aware of? hundred percent. There's thousands and ranging from a cult of family members, like just it's called a family cult, um, with often a patriarchal, abusive father figure, um, to you know groups where there's thousands of people involved. And I had no idea. And I'm that's why I'm still talking. So I'm still doing interviews because, I mean. And also specifically why I wanted to talk with you guys and, and accepted that invitation very graciously because I really feel like 
again, if I could impart any of this to women in their 20s and save even one or two from, from joining a cult, then great. My, my work was not for naught. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I'm so grateful that you are sharing your voice with the world and with us. And it is so interesting because it's like, I never was brought up speaking of cults, learning of cults, thinking that was like mm-hmm. a red flag. Like you get taught not to go with strangers and things like that. But mm-hmm. I, I don't ever remember having that conversation about cults. No, me neither. And any, any concept that I had of cults was very, um, I'm not sure you're familiar with Jim Jones and the, the uh, oh, what's it called? The temple, the, I should know this, um, the, the People's Temple. And they're the ones that moved to Guyana and they were starting a new community and they ended up having a 900 person mass suicide. That's the Kool-Aid reference. Yeah. Right. So like that was sort of like I was aware of that and that looked nothing like Nexium. So it wasn't, it's very easy for me to dismiss that accusation that I was in a cult. It's, it's definitely something that's changed over the years. Like you said earlier, it's, it's very ripe within the wellness and health and, you know, self-development and, you know, even within the sort of boss babe entrepreneurship thing. And like MLMs and yeah. Yes. What would be yeah, like? If someone invites you to, to, <laughs> to join and like anything to do with aromatherapy or anything where you have to recruit people. Sorry. Was that your question? I just, the fact, like I just, I can't with MLMs. <laughs> no. I know everyone has to kind of go through it to 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 have that experience, either to be recruited into one or to do one, and then no, I mean that's the thing. It's a con, and the con is like with Nexium, the overall con is making us feel like we're broken. Which was kind of the other thing I wanted to impart is that you're not broken. You don't have anything to fix. You can improve yourself and be on a path of knowing yourself and loving yourself, but you are this whole complete being already. And groups like Nexium and Landmark and things like that want to make you feel like shit about yourself so that you keep paying money to, to, to grow and to take more classes. And that, that's, that's the deceptive lie. You don't need it, right? You can get all of those things that I learned, you can find in books. Now, will you read the books and will you apply them to your life? That's that's for you to figure out, you know, find a group of women. I think you guys are in a book club, right? Um, yeah, I, I did one a little while back. Yeah. Yeah. So like having, a, having some friends that hold you accountable, that don't make you feel like shit, that, you know, can be honest with you, but you don't have to spend, you don't have to spend a lot of money to be self-aware or self-evolved. And I also think like no shame to any of our friendships. Sorry. I know I just said I hate MLMs, but if you are doing that because like you want to have your own business or your own hustle, like just know you don't need an MLM, like take your money and invest it in yourself and believe in yourself. Like that's going to be so much more powerful in my opinion anyways. Right. Yes. Well, that's what I I forgot to finish that tangent, which is that MLMs, the con there is that it's possible. Most MLMs are designed for the leadership at the top to make money and for the people at the bottom to be doing all the hustle and Mm -hmm. it, 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 do the work. And it's, it's just like, oh, if you do this, this, and this, and you'll be making a six figure income and you'll, you know, move to Hawaii and buy a sports car. No, it's not true. Mm-hmm. It's totally not true. It, it, there's a chapter in my book where Keith, who is the MLM master says, quite frankly, it's an illusion of hope. It's an illusion. It's not true. You can't do it. You will never be successful. And that's what's so shitty about it. Because if you're not successful, it's because, well, you're just being lazy or you're not hustling enough. And yeah, like, if your friendships are in an MLM, I, I, my personal advice to anyone in MLM is like, if you can do something else, like do it because it's just a shitty atmosphere. It's a shitty environment and they're not designed for everyone to be successful. That's my truth. And I'm going to do an episode about that in a, in a little bit. Called oh, I can't wait to hear. Yeah. There's, there's just too many MLMs. Um, okay. Well, we are going to wrap up with one last question. Jack, did you want to go for it? If you could take away the biggest life lesson from your entire experience and I know that's probably a loaded question because you probably learned so much but if there's one big takeaway you could share with us what would it be hmm I think I have like three but I'm trying to narrow it down (laughs) Uh, I think the thing I already said about not being broken so I'm just gonna echo that one Um, and that you know I, I, I happened to hear one of your podcasts where you mentioned Untamed, so I want to reference that, um, where she talks about really the importance of trusting your gut and your intuition. That's super important to cultivate that. And if someone's telling you to ignore that, that's a huge red flag. Um, but I think the 
third one is that, you know, if I can, again, stop you, <laughs> you and your friendship, friendships from joining cults, great, but like, you're going to go through shitty times, you know, and things will happen and life is not all roses and picket fences. Like things need to happen in order to, you know, have some sort of life experience. But I guess for me, my biggest takeaway in terms of that is like, I endured, I'm stronger for it. Um, there's a great Brene Brown quote that I just posted on my story is that, you know, eventually your struggle will be someone else's survival guide. And just knowing that whatever you go through, if you can learn from it and not stay stuck in it, it will help somebody else. And to me, that's really um, important. I love that. I love that note to end on. I wanted to reference another untamed quote, but honestly, that was so much better. <laughs> which, one were you, which one were you going to say? The one that I probably read... 20 times recently is when she is at an AA meeting and someone comes over and tells her that like she's doing life right by feeling the lows of the lows and like that is life and obviously I'm saying it a lot less gracefully <laughs> than Queen Glennon Doyle does but basically they're just reiterating that like life has your ups and downs and you grow from them and the, what you're feeling when you're at your lowest is meant to happen in a way. Mm-hmm. And I love that. And can, and can propel you to the to the other yeah. side. Yes. My quote, actually, I just on my I wrote about on, on my Instagram was, "I will not stay, not ever again, in a room, conversation, or relationship or institution that requires me to abandon myself." Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so. So good. don't abandon yourself, and you don't have to spend lots of money to find yourself if you have. It's it's those tools are out there. Um, for much cheaper. <laughs> um, okay, we're going to wrap up, but plug your podcast, your book, like anywhere people can learn more, follow you, share all of that. Thank you. So yeah, my book is available anywhere books are sold, but I always suggest the Audible because it's kind of cool that I narrated it. So That's what we both listen to. You do such a great job. You have amazing you. reading voice. And I actually learned that you Thanks. do voiceovers as well. Is that for children's books yeah. or something? No, I do voiceover for like animation and commercials. And I've been doing that for 15 years. I'm also an actor, which is less of a priority these days because I've got two kids. But I, I love talking about all this stuff. Um, the, the book is probably the best way to, to hear my story. The Vow on HBO is a documentary about the whole thing. Um, Nippy and I started a podcast, A Little Bit Culty to look at the, the fads, beliefs, and trends that blur the line between devotion and dysfunction. And I'm also part of a movement called Hashtag I Got Out, which is similar to Hashtag Me Too, but about leaving abusive relationships. And you can find me on Instagram, Sarah Edmondson, like son of Edmund, Edmond. Thank you. And we'll link all of that for our listeners for you guys to check Thank it you. out. Thank you so much, Sarah. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the great questions. Okay, friends, thank you for listening to today's episode. We always appreciate when you do, but what we really appreciate is when you hit that subscribe button, go leave us a review, rate us five stars. Those things help us more than we can actually really ever convey in our words on here, but truly, truly, that's what helps us be able to bring these episodes to you every single week for free. Yeah, like if you have a few spare moments in your day on this fine Wednesday or whatever day you're listening right now, just do us a, a little favor. Go onto your Apple podcast app, scroll down because some people actually don't know how to leave a review. So you're going to scroll down on to the bottom of our page of what day is a podcast and there's a little pencil with a box and you're going to tap that and you would write a review and you'll put submit and it'll show up in a few days for us. I think it takes a little bit of time to process. But yeah, a few minutes of your day really helps us go a long way. So if you have time, but we also know a lot of you have already left reviews. So thank you. Other ways you can support us is joining our lovely Facebook group on Facebook called What Days at Friendships. You can follow along at What Days at Podcast. You can shop all of our merch at What Days at Podcast.com. And you can follow our personals. Bailey is at Bailey JST and I'm at Jackie Bye.